0: I want to uh, thank you all for your prayers as we were gone to visit my father. Uh, He's still in the hospital. Um, He had a lung collapse after they did a lung biopsy, so they're working on that and other things. Um, I hope to be home very soon, and our son and daughter-in-law and two granddaughters are visiting with him this weekend, so that's an extra special treat for all of them to have that time together. Um, Thank you for your prayers. Our travel and everything, and I thank Caleb for preaching last Sunday. Understand, uh, he did an excellent job, brought a powerful message, and uh, hope that you were blessed by him talking about his own life. Caleb and and uh, the other spies who went up into Canaan. No, you didn't go to Canaan, did you? That was that is a that was a different. You went to Liberia, not to, okay. I just want to make sure I got that right. But uh, still, a powerful story, faithfulness. Uh, Great examples of Bible characters. Well, as America is celebrating its 241st birthday, is that right? We patriots are filled with a variety of emotions. Um, we still love our country. We pray for God's blessings, and yet we know that our country has has largely turned away from God, and so we're in a in an awkward position that we have not been in uh, previously, and it's becoming more and more difficult. We can no longer. Claim, for instance, to be one nation under God. Um, for sure, I'm not even uh, absolutely sure we're one nation anymore. There's a lot of splintering. But we're definitely not under God, uh, at least a lot of us. Um, and so it's an interesting time for us. As a nation, uh, as a people, we're not listening to God. We're not, we're not following God. So what does our future look like? Um, nobody knows exactly where that will go. What will happen over the next few years as our leaders, you know, are arguing over the right course of action and nobody seems to be able to come to, you know, an agreement, to a consensus and move forward. It was kind of mired in all of the controversy and so on. So on this July 4th weekend, I'm kind of left with a question in my mind, what now? What now, America? What's next? America seems to be more divided than ever. We've always had differences of opinion in this country, and we've had the freedom to express them, and we're thankful for that. I'm so, so grateful for the freedom of speech, aren't you? For the freedom of religion that we can gather here today. We don't have to worry about somebody coming through the door with a gun and threatening us. We don't have to worry about, you know, some government shutting us down because we're trying to worship God. And yet, that has also been an environment where a lot of differences of opinion have flourished and had as much traction as any other opinion. Um, we've been able to handle a lot of that. In the beginning of our country, there were Tories, and there were patriots, right? There were those who said, well, let's, we don't really like what England's doing, but you know, we, we depend on England, we like their protection, we like what they bring to us, so we'll continue serving the king, and serving the, the English government. Others were saying, no, this is too much, let's throw this off, throw the shackles off. And so there was all this discussion going on, a lot of fighting of words for years, and eventually it led to an open conflict and a declaration of our independence from England, which, of course, we we're celebrating this weekend. Back in uh, the days of the Civil War, you know, open conflict again. People, difference of ideas, difference of, of values, difference of, of, of opinions, Brought to a head in a war, and so now you have brother fighting against brother, and cousin against fight, uh, cousin, and father against son. We had families split wide open by that controversy called the Civil War. And even after one side won that war, you know uh, what was left? You know, just a lot of lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of racism and prejudice, and. And a lot of things that are still there in our country today, we've not really been fully healed from that, have we? We still have a lot of that stuff going on all the time. So, To be sure, some division is is unavoidable. Uh, human beings by nature have differences of opinion, and we have strong opinions. We have different ideas how things should be done. You look at the United Nations, for instance, you got all these different nations coming together and... There's kind of this experiment, the experiment of unity. And so, you know, one person gets up and speak, and the person across the aisle or down the row gets up to speak. They can't even stand each other. They hate each other. The countries have been at odds for generations, and yet they're trying somehow to achieve some level of unity or, or some level of peace. And very rarely something can be accomplished in that humanly. Through human effort, through human wisdom, through human intelligence, so it is an experiment—an experiment that often fails. But what about America? What about the division and the hatred within our own country? You know, all of us see every day. As Caleb alluded to it, in the communion time, uh, the divisiveness of America. We see the the rancor. We see the you know the name calling constantly on the the television. We see slander, and rather than just argue over an issue, you know, debate an issue, we have to make it personal, and so the attacks become very personal against someone else, and we try to win the argument by that attack. Will we ever learn to disagree without being disagreeable? I don't know. <laughs> seems today that everyone is spouting off their opinions, and very few people are listening. Doesn't that seem to be the case? You know, you've got all the government leaders and everybody's you know, spending hours in front of the podium saying what they think is right, but when it's somebody else's turn, they leave, or they just go do something else because they're not interested. They only want to see their opinion win the day. These are difficult days for America, and things, I don't think, are getting any better. Agreed? You know, if we just left everything where it is right now, would things get any better? I don't think so. And I think it's high time that we all ask ourselves this question, what now, America? A few years ago, another preacher named Jerry Shirley likened America's shortcomings to the shortcomings exhibited by the nation of Israel in the days of the prophet Micah. And he referred to Micah chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you could kind of glance over it. we're not going to really spend a lot of time there, I just want to refer to it, that in Micah, the prophet was sent to the nation to call them to task, to say, There are some things here that God is finding at fault, and if you don't change, judgment is coming. If you've got to change, your judgment will come. God's judgment was coming because of their sin, their disobedience, the fact that they're basically ignoring him, and in fact, God's judgment always comes. It may not come immediately, it may not come exactly when we think it should, but God always holds us accountable for actions, either as nations or as individuals. The only way we get away from that is when we turn back to God and by his grace, he forgives us and he loves us. We just saw two weeks ago how God judged the whole world in Noah's generation, didn't we? And the whole world got so bad except for this one man that he destroyed everyone else in the flood and then started over with Noah and his family. In the days of Abraham, he rained down judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, I've had enough. I'm going to destroy those cities. God's judgment even happened to God's people on occasion, to Israel itself. Will he make an example of America? Will he do the same for America? I think so. There are no exceptions. God's judgment, God's accountability. Micah pointed out three groups in Israel that were at fault. If you read from Micah chapter 3, there were corrupt politicians Corrupt politicians who ignored what God had told them to do and cared for no one but themselves. They were compromising preachers, you know, the, the prophets of the day, the people that were leading, you know, to, to what you're supposed to believe and do. They were compromising what God said. Instead of what God said, they were giving the people what they wanted to hear. But thirdly, they were complacent people. This is what Jerry Shirley pointed out. People that just kind of went along with it thinking, "Well, well, look around. Things are okay. We're doing okay economically. We're doing okay. Actually, things are a little improvement. And, and so we'll just let things go as they are. We'll be complacent about this. Does any of this sound familiar to America today? Does it sound like us? I think it does. And Micah warned the people of his day to turn back to God, or God's judgment would certainly fall upon them. Sadly, they turned a deaf ear to the prophet, and judgment came. So let's let's break that. Let's go from that time of history. Let's go back a few hundred years to the time of David. In similar tumultuous times, you know, King Saul had, had been overrun by the Philistines and, and died. And then, you know, as one of his sons is, is trying to keep things going. And, and David has been already made the, the the new king. But he's only king, I don't know if you know know this, but he's only king of one tribe for like seven and a half years. He's not king of the whole nation yet for a while. And and in a, a passage in First Chronicles 12, it mentions... Uh, the time when finally David unites the whole kingdom. Uh, Saul's son is out of the way now, and now people gather together to make David king of the entire nation. And it starts listing the different tribes and different qualities of their strength or their military might or their bravery or whatever. And then it mentions men in particular, the men of Issachar. The men of Issachar. And what it says there is that these men among all the others, understood the times they were living in, and they knew what Israel should do. I want you to hang on to that for a minute. First Chronicles 12.32 says, From Issachar there were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs, it mentions, with all their relatives under their command. Do you see the importance of that? That in the nation of Israel, in a tumultuous time, there is a small segment of leaders who understood what was going on. They had the wisdom of God to see what was actually happening, and they knew what Israel should do. And I believe David leaned pretty heavily on them, as he should have. Oh, how we need such men and women today. How we need people that that in this mess, that we're in this critical stage that America, the need for godly men and women who know the Lord and who know what to do, any godly men and women who have God's heart and God's wisdom so that they can correctly understand the times. You know, It's a pretty confusing time. But if you have God's wisdom, you see through all of that. You cut through all those layers of confusion and say, here's the truth. This is the truth God is showing us. And then you know, as a godly man or woman, what to do. And we turn the nation back to God. Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people who understand the times and know what we need to do? Now, there's a man in the Bible that we want to focus on our Bible character today named Daniel, and Daniel fit the bill. He was a man that had the wisdom of God, who had understanding of where he was, his life circumstances, the nation that he's in. Uh, Caleb's already referred to them going in exile into Babylon. He was one of those Israelites taken against his will to a new country and he never came home again. He lived out his entire life in the other country. He understood the times, and he knew what to do. Daniel was one of the Jewish exiles taken to Babylon. He's a young man. He's one of the royal families. In 589 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar had conquered the Israelites at Jerusalem and took many of them into Babylon. We know from the opening chapter of Daniel that they instructed one of his rulers, one of his authorities, to go through the Israelite camp and and figure out the brightest and best, figure out these young men that could be brought into the king's service. And over a period of three years, you train them, you teach them all the ways of the Babylonians, you teach them how to be part of our government, part of our, our structure, and make our country, you know, even better than it's ever been before. That was the plan. And so Daniel and his friends... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You probably know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? These three friends in Daniel are part of this group. And they're taken in as these Jewish exiles to be trained for service to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. But they know as they go, it's obvious that their heart is not alleged to Nebuchadnezzar, but to God. Their, Their loyalty is to God. And it comes out in several different ways here in their lives. They would not sacrifice their relationship with God in order to make themselves go further, you know, and to have uh, promotions or whatever in the kingdom of the Babylonians. For instance, they wouldn't eat the food and drink that was put before them, even in their training. You know, there's rich wine and meals and everything that the king thought would be best for them. You, know, you want these guys to be the best? You give them the best food they can possibly have. And they said, no, these these are not according to what God's told us to do. And so they asked for permission to be tested for 10 days. Remember that story? And so they ate the vegetables and the things that God had said. And they actually progressed way ahead of the other people that were in the, the, the study group, in the group that was being trained. And so they changed everybody to that. And I imagine that didn't make them very popular. Take away the great wine and the great food, and we're going to eat vegetables now. They, they actually progressed, and it says that they were at the end of this period of time recognized as superior to all of them, the wisdom they had, the intelligence they had, the abilities that they had, Daniel and his three friends, because they stayed with God, they honored God, and God saw them through. They wouldn't bow down later when King Nebuchadnezzar decided to build this this golden image of himself, 90 foot high, and he said, you know, when the music starts, everybody bows down, because you can't bow down to anybody except me, the king. They knew they couldn't do that. They refused to bow down. They were thrown into a fiery furnace as their execution, but they didn't die. God spared them. God saved them out of that fiery furnace. And they continued to serve the king after they were saved from the fiery furnace. They wouldn't bow down. For uh, some reason, Daniel wasn't there. I don't know why Daniel wasn't there at the time of the the, uh, golden statue. Maybe he was away on business. Maybe he was exempt because he was so high up in the government that it didn't matter, but he didn't appear in that story. But he had his own test just a little while later. After a new king had come to power, and King Cyrus was in power, then the enemies of Daniel got the king to make this decree that if you prayed to anybody except the king, you had to die. And the choice of execution was a lion's den. Throw them into the den of hungry lions. Well, Daniel knew what he had to do. He prayed to God three times a day, always. Even after the edict came out, he did the same thing. He followed God. He prayed to God just as he always had. And, of course, his enemies reported him, turned him into the authorities. And King uh, Darius had no choice but to throw him into the den of hungry lions. And God protected Daniel from the lions. And he continued to serve the king his entire life. Now, I want to focus on Daniel 2, just pretty quickly here, Daniel 2, and I want us to think of uh, a time in in Daniel's life when King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He's the king of Babylon, he's the richest, strongest, most powerful man on earth, but he had a problem because he had a dream at night and it troubled him, and he wanted to know what does this dream mean? So first of all, he called in all his astrologers and wise men, and he said, you know, I, I want you to tell me my dream and tell me what it means because I'm really troubled by this. And they reacted to him, you know, well, tell us what the dream is, and we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, no, this time, you got to tell me the dream too. So let's read from Daniel chapter 2, starting with verse 1. In the second year of the king's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled. He could not get to sleep. And so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before him, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me. I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants a dream. We'll interpret it. But he said, he replied to them, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream is and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces. And I will have your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Obviously, they couldn't do that. Now, Daniel is one of these wise men also. He's part of this group. He's part of the advisors to the king. So he and his friends are under threat of death as well. And when the people come to him to tell him, this is what's going to happen, all of you are going to be executed unless you do this, Then like, well, what is going on? And he went to the king and he said, can I have more time? And I will in time be able to tell you the dream and tell you the interpretation of the dream. And when he got that request answered, Then he went to his friends, and he said to them, we need to to pray, we need to seek God together. Notice what it says starting down at verse 17. That Daniel returned to his house. He explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel prays the God of heaven. Listen to what Daniel says. He's under the threat of death. No one knows the answer to this unless God would reveal it. But God chooses to reveal the future of the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. To reveal to the most powerful man on earth an answer that only God would know. And Daniel says in verses 21 to 23, he prays to the name of God. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings. He deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. And I thank you and I praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So Daniel goes to the king. And he tells the, the king exactly what is going on, what the dream was, and he begins to interpret it. And the king is is he's astound astounded, he's astonished that, that anyone would know this. How uh, no one else could know the answer, but you know my dream, and you know what it means. And this is the message that I needed. Now my understanding has come. And so Daniel impresses King Nebuchadnezzar with his actions, with his words, what he said, but he's very quick to say, it's not me. I didn't know this. I couldn't have known this. I'm like everyone else, that I would never have known exactly what you dreamed or what the interpretation would be, but there is a God in heaven who knows. There is a God in heaven. Look down at verse 27. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, the diviner could explain to the king the mystery is asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. And he goes on and explains that whole thing to him. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar falls down before Daniel tries to almost worship him I mean, he's so impressed and then he says no that you know that's not for me he gets up and he just gives him all these gifts and he makes him second in command in the whole country of Babylon because no one has wisdom like Daniel that's how Nebuchadnezzar looks at and Daniel's saying it's not me it's God and we need a good God we need to learn from God our country needs more men and women like the men of Issachar don't we we need people who understand the times and who know what America should do, or any other country. Our country needs more men and women like Daniel and his three friends, who had qualities like, like these, the quality of faith in Almighty God, that he accepted God's judgment upon the people of Israel in faith, that while they were in exile, an exile they deserved that he had the faith that God would see them through that. So here's a quality of Daniel that we can can, uh, identify with and we can learn for our lives. Second quality is obedience to God, that he made the most out of his exile in a foreign land, just as God had commanded. The prophets had told them, just as Caleb referred to Jeremiah, you know, you go there, settle in, make the most of that, pray for the prosperity of that country that you're taken to, because when it prospers, you will prosper. And when, when the good things happen there, you will be able to glorify God in that. And Daniel obeyed God. And he never obeyed the Babylonians who were opposed to God. You know, when it came down to the issues of the food they ate or the gods that they served and prayed to, he followed God all the way. And then finally, his prayers to God offered three times a day. I'm not telling you have to offer it three times a day. I'm saying. Make it your regular uh, action of your life that you pray to God. You seek God's favor upon yourself, upon your fellow Americans, upon your adoptive nation. You know We really don't belong here, do we? But we're here for now. And like Daniel, we are exiles in this land, and we are to pray for the country that we are part of. I want to be a man of Issachar. I want to be somebody who understands the times and who knows what to do. Don't you? I want to be a Daniel whose faith and obedience and prayers to God show us how we all should live. And I want to hold on to God no matter what is happening. I want not to, to blindly follow my culture where everybody's going this way. It's easiest to just kind of you know go along. Let's just go ahead and be whatever everybody else is being. Let's do what everybody else is doing. It's easier not ruffling any feathers, not making any waves. Let's just go along with it. That's the easy way. That is the broad way that leads to destruction, the Bible says. There is a narrow way, a narrow gate, and only the few who find that will find life. America is in trouble, and we are moving further and further away from God. What can we do about it? Well, many things. God will lead you into the things that you should do individually, but the most powerful thing we can do is pray. The most powerful thing we can do is unite and pray. The the thing that all of us must do is pray. And we need to pray for our country and pray for our world. I confess to you, I've not done that as well as I should have. I've not done that as consistently as I should have. And I'm going to change that. Because over the centuries, there have been great revivals. There have been great movements of God in various lands, various generations. But before every revival, before every great movement of God, there was first the prayers of God's faithful people. People that lifted up to God their concerns, their needs, their desire for God to succeed in their land. In every generation, when darkness has overtaken the land, God has raised up faithful people to pray and to seek after His will. God always raises up faithful men and women who will pray and seek his face. Is God raising up this morning at New Hope a generation who will pray? I think he is. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men, all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the Word of God tells us, pray every day. Pray for your nation. Pray for your world. Seek God's wisdom. Seek God's intervention. Second Chronicles 7.14, favorite verse of many, when we think of our nation, gives us God's message to Israel or to any nation that has turned from God as Israel had turned. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and they will pray, and they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, there's critical things to do, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Would you join me in prayer this morning for our nation? Find a, a posture that it allows you to pray freely, that allows you to be focused and not distracted, then pray with me. Father, as we consider our nation, sometimes we feel confused. We feel uh, almost scared about things, scared about the future, how things will go. Sometimes as parents or grandparents, we worry what kind of a world Our children will be part of and have to live in. But God, you are on the throne still. You are the one who makes all authorities. You are the one that sets people in place and takes them back down. You are the one who holds every nation and every individual accountable for their actions. And your timing is always perfect when you exact judgment. And when you make things right again. So our trust is in you, our confidence is in you, and I pray today, Lord, as we lift up our nation, America, the land in which we live, the place where we have our citizenship or where we conduct our lives, you've told us, you've commanded us that we would lift up our our leaders, all that are in authority. You've asked us to make prayers and entreaties and give thanksgiving for what we do enjoy. And so we bring our prayers to you today, and we seek your face. We seek your will for this country and for this world. Lord, I pray for our leaders. We pray especially for our president, for our senators, for our representatives that lead an entire nation. Lord, some of them uh, we are at great odds with in their values or their opinions, but because of their authority, we still lift them up before you, and we pray that somehow your wisdom would come upon them an understanding would be given to them. And your peace would accomplish first in their own lives a change of heart and then in their leadership a change of heart. We pray for everybody that is in the state level or even in the community level in authority. We lift them up before you, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would uh, show them your way. And if there is correction, if there is discipline, as there is Uh, anything needed from you. We trust you for that, Lord. And we lift them up in prayer, as you've told us to. Lord, for the peace of this nation, for the unity of this nation, may all of the hurts and and all of the animosities and hatred be healed by your Spirit. May people learn to get along. May people learn to voice their opinion and, and even have sharp disagreements but not resort to violence or to all of the things that are, become so personal and attacks. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, give America prosperity again. Not just financial prosperity, Lord, but it's, for Americans that seems to be the priority. But for us as believers, we pray for the spiritual prosperity of our nation. We pray for hearts to be turned to you. We pray for our part in that, for the the way that we can impact and influence lives, people that we work with, the people in our families, the people that are our neighbors, people that we do business with week after week. And may your love uh, be evidenced in our lives. May uh, your wisdom be evidenced in our lives that we would be like the men of Issachar, knowing, understanding the times, and knowing what we should do. We ask for your blessing today, Lord, upon us, upon our country, upon our, our nation, um, and also locally in our congregation, in our community here at Manassas, uh, that you would you would achieve your purpose in us, your will. Uh, Lord, sometimes we don't even know what to pray, and we thank you that your spirit can intercede for us and provide understanding uh, that maybe we would never come to in any other way. We ask for that wisdom. We ask for understanding from you today. Uh, For each one of our members, they're troubled. If they're uh, in turmoil today, Lord, visit upon them your healing and your peace. Bring to them understanding. Bring to them grace and confidence and boldness in Christ that they've never had before. Bring to them your love. So much greater than than the love they would ever discover here in this world because you loved us first we can love others oh Lord we, we just humbly oursel- ourselves before you we ask uh, all of this through Jesus Amen Amen The same power that was in Jesus Christ is in us Do you believe that? The same power We're going to sing about that. And I want you to kind of go with the thought in your mind that you're not on your own. You're not under your own devices, your own power today. We all walk in the power of God. Uh, So let us be encouraged today. And let's go in that strength and the grace that he provides. Would you stand with us and sing with us, please?